Hello, my name is Ben Schluter, and welcome to the second episode of the Saturday special of Gold to Go. Um, yeah, sorry about there not being one last week, but last week was a bit, you know, all over the place for everything. So, yeah. Let's start with the answer to the trivia question that was posed on the episode from two weeks ago. Which of these Division One schools has an official name without the word college? A. Dartmouth, B. Holy Cross, C. Maryland, or D. St. Francis, PA? The correct answer is D. St. Francis, PA. Dartmouth is officially Dartmouth College, Holy Cross is the College of the Holy Cross, and Maryland is the University of Maryland at College Park. Now, St. Francis can refer to two schools. There's also a St. Francis College in Brooklyn, but I went with the Pennsylvania one, as that one is officially St. Francis University. So, what are we here to talk about? Well, you see, I have talked a lot about the Saints because I am a Saints fan, but I haven't really gone into depth about anything specific. And I wanted to actually do that for the first time, really, uh, talking about Drew Brees and one of the guys, if not his best, his best receiver, that wasn't a tight end, uh, pre-Michael Thomas. Because I think Michael Thomas is going to, he's going to go down, best Saints receiver, um, least that he's had. <clears throat> In fact, you could probably argue he's maybe the best receiver Brees has ever had. Um, again, wide receiver, not counting tight end, because you can make the argument either Antonio, like Antonio Gates might be better. Um, and so what I've done is I've created a little bit of a chart to show you what exactly Drew Brees had been working with. Now, because of the way things have been with how good Drew Brees has been, uh, throughout his career, uh, but also through the fact that really the first 10 years of his career, or from basically from 2006 to 2016, Breeze never had a Pro Bowl wide receiver. I think 2017 was the first year Michael Thomas made the Pro Bowl. Uh, because, and I do want to double check this because if I am wrong I can just add one more little row to this because that would be something dumb no he made the Pro Bowl for 2017 so yeah alrighty that was the first year that Breeze threw to a wide receiver who made the Pro Bowl and so I'm not going to count it and so basically what I have is every single one of Breeze's Receivers, so that does include tight ends, uh, can also include running backs, who caught at least 10% of Breeze's yards. Now, for a couple of years, um, like for example, 2009, I actually have the numbers for the yardage that they caught just from Breeze. Uh, I believe 2008 had a similar, or no, not 2008, 2007 had a similar weird situation uh, because, and also 2015. Uh, yes, 2015, I had to do some uh, maneuvering because Breeze didn't play in every single one of the games. In 2009, for example, we rested Breeze and a bunch of starters in week uh, 17 against the Panthers. And in 2015, uh, Breeze was out for a game due to injury, and so Luke McCown came into play. And so I had to take off some of the numbers from the receivers. And uh, basically... Breeze, for some reason, because I have to go into some more, like, 
detail because I have one specific complaint. And I think all of us have the same complaint if they ever saw him uh, about how he realistically had one Pro Bowl wide receiver and he had him for a decade, basically. And that was Marcus Colston. Because Marcus Colston was robbed of a Pro Bowl probably three times. I, like, for this episode, we're going to talk about who Drew Brees had, uh, why those guys weren't exactly all up to snuff, except for Marcus Colston, and then the three years that I believe Marcus Colston had the best chance of being a Pro Bowl wide receiver. Those years are 2007, 2011, and 2012. Those were his three best years, in my opinion, or at least the... well, not his three best years. Uh, 2007 was obviously his best year. But those two other years were years where he th- could have made the Pro Bowl. If you look at the other guys, there's a good argument to be made. Especially 2012, which is not talked about enough. Like, there's a really good argument to be made. He should have made the Pro Bowl. Because if you look at the numbers and just... What? But first, let's look at this. Um... So in 2006, Breeze is in New Orleans for the first time. Uh, his four, The four receivers that he had where they caught at least 10% of his yards. So he threw for 4,418 yards in his first season. Marcus Colston had 1,038. Reggie Bush had 742. Joe Horn had 679. And Devery Henderson had 674. Now, Joe Horn made the Pro Bowl, but he made the Pro Bowl in 2003. So there's that weird technicality that you have to go off of. Yes, Breeze did have a Pro Bowl wide receiver before Michael Thomas. It's just that it wasn't in the same season that Breeze was there. It was with Aaron Brooks, which is... I don't know if that's more impressive. It probably is. I don't know how to feel about Aaron Brooks, personally. Because, like, we put him in the Saints Hall of Fame. And a lot of people were questioning it. Like, a lot of Saints fans were like, why would you put Aaron Brooks in the Saints Hall of Fame? He was like... He was Aaron Brooks. Like, that's all you really needed to say about him. But if you think about it and you look at what he did for the five or six years he was here, from 2000 to 2005, what he managed to do was something that the Saints had never seen before. He came in and he took all our passing records. I think he had the majority of the passing records. I think he had the touchdown record. Either way, what he did in five years was some of the most impressive quarterback play that the Saints had seen because he had a cannon for an arm. Like, Aaron Brooks could launch that ball 60 yards. Uh, NFL Throwback, I think, put on this, put on their YouTube channel, like, the 2002 Skills Challenge, and though Aaron Brooks didn't make the Pro Bowl, I think he was invited, and they had him do, like, the yard, the distance challenge, uh, to see how far he could throw it, and Aaron Brooks won it. They did the accuracy challenge, and Aaron Brooks did better than Tom Brady, from what I remember. Aaron Brooks was a good quarterback. It's just that he made some pretty dumb decisions, with the most infamous one being his decision to, hey, why don't I just throw the ball backwards? He did that in 4 against the Chargers. By the way, yes, Breeze was on the Chargers at that time. It's the only time he's ever played and beaten the Saints. So, yeah. How do you throw the ball backwards like that, though, and lose, like, 20-something yards? What, what were you thinking? And that's the kind of stuff people remember about Aaron Brooks. And I mention that just because, like, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you had Marcus Colston. Marcus Colston, I'll, I'll get into him because he's a separate topic, uh, just all by himself. You had Reggie Bush. Reggie Bush was good. Um, 
I feel like if you have to look at him being the number two overall pick uh, and what he ended up doing in the NFL, especially with the Saints, it's kind of odd to... I don't know what to call him. I don't know... I don't say he's a bust. You couldn't say that he's necessarily a bust. What he did just didn't end up being exactly what you expected from him, but he did have some injury problems. There was this, that, and the other thing. Um... I don't know. I just don't think he may have been the type of guy you would expect to be a primary back or have a primary role. I think one of the things about him is that if I had to compare him to any back that I've seen, it would have to basically be Alvin Kamara. Um, At least in terms of what Alvin Kamara is kind of expected to do and how you have to use Alvin Kamara. Because the way the Saints have this position right now with running back is they have the idea of the thunder and lightning. Uh, When the Saints were going on that tear in 2018, Mark Ingram was the great antithesis to Alvin Kamara. Granted, both of them can run screen passes really well, um, and I think that Mark Ingram probably a little bit better. Although it's not, it's kind of difficult for me to compare what Mark Ingram is compared to Latavius Murray. Because they're like both pretty good, and they both kind of work the same way. But when it comes to power running, I think Latavius Murray does a little bit more for it. Uh, Or at least when you think of a power running back, you'd think of a guy like a Latavius Murray. Then you got like Joe Horn, uh, who's just great, did all the stuff, you know. He's Joe Horn. I really don't know what to say about him, honestly, because I didn't really watch him growing up. Because I didn't start watching the Saints until like 06, 07. So, got to... Have that. And then you had Devery Henderson. Now, Devery Henderson is a wide receiver. Probably didn't get talked about that much around the time that he was with the Saints. But he was good. uh, Fast. Fast. He was a guy that you could run end arounds with. Like, he was the guy when the Saints wanted to run an end around. That's who we'd give the ball to. And he could go deep. Like, I mean... He went to LSU, yes, apparently the Saints were picking LSU guys up at some point because we got Henderson, and, uh, yeah, it, he was a really, really good wide receiver, but I think he probably wouldn't have been as great if he didn't have a guy like Drew Brees. This is one of the things that you're going to see me say with a lot of the wide receivers and players Drew Brees had, is that Breeze took guys that probably wouldn't have been much with most quarterbacks and turned them into studs. Um, But yeah, those are the four guys from 2006. 2007, Breeze only had two guys that caught more than 10% of his total yardage. He threw for 4,423 yards. Colston had 1,202 yards. David Patton had 792. Now, David Patton, uh, I don't really... See, 07 and 08... I cannot tell you much about those years. So when I'm talking about what Marcus Colston did in 2007, I'm going to have to say that that's coming off with a grain of salt and that I'm mainly looking at the numbers. Because 07 and 08 just are blurs to me. Like, I do not remember those years at all. I don't know why I don't remember those years, but I don't. Then you got 2008. That was Breeze's first 5,000-yard season. 5,069 yards. His top receiver that year was Lance Moore. Lance Moore was good. Um, he was a good uh, route runner. Uh, 
he had amazing ability to catch the ball uh, with, I think his most famous play is the one against the Ravens, where he somehow manages to make this amazing toe-tap catch uh, to score a touchdown. And it's like, how did you do that? How the what did the how? There is no way you managed to do that. And he managed to do it. And that wasn't in 2008. I know that. I think that was uh, 2000. And it had to have been 2010 that he did it. But, yeah, good receiver that year. Top receiver, 928 yards. Then Devry Henderson, 793. Marcus Colston with a 760-yard season, which that's a bit of an offseason considering you had 1,200 yards the previous year. But whatever, maybe he was injured, exactly don't remember. And then there's Billy Miller. I believe Billy Miller was a tight end. He had 579 yards that year. Um, And by the way, if you're wondering why I don't have touchdowns and uh, receptions for all these guys, it's because I took it from a sheet of paper that I used just for the yardage, and I made that last year. So that's why the numbers are pretty bare bones, but there you do enough of a job to tell you who this is. And Billy Miller was a tight end. That's all I really know about him. He was a tight end for us, believe, in 07 and 08, which is why I know nothing about him. Then the 2009 season. Breeze throws for 4,388 yards, and his top three guys are, we've already talked, I'll talk about Colston, because Colston his his own separate thing. Like, just talking about who Marcus Colston is, that requires me to go on a longer thing. Uh, Devery Henderson had 786. By the way, I don't know if I mentioned that Colston had 1074, which was really good. Then Robert Meacham had 710. Now, Robert Meacham was interesting. Uh, He was a guy that came out of Tennessee. Uh, The Saints have also had, you might have heard, Dante Stallworth. Dante Stallworth was also another good receiver the Saints had coming out of Tennessee, Uh, but he was there during the Aaron Brooks era, Uh, and then he was traded after the Saints realized Holy cow, Marcus Colston's good. Uh, the Saints let him go, and he went to the Patriots, and he was on that 07 Patriots team. Uh, he did catch a few balls there. Yeah, but Meacham... <clears throat> Meacham was good. Meacham was a guy who Breeze tended to find just randomly. It was like, hey, what the heck? What is Meacham doing open? Oh, okay. Okay, Meacham. What are you doing? Eventually, Robert Meacham, when we let him go or something... Uh, the Chargers picked him up in 2012, and they thought that they could make him like a starter, and that ended up being a bit of a mistake. Robert Meacham is probably one of the more prime examples of what Breeze could do to a wide receiver, because Rivers couldn't exactly turn Meacham into the guy he was in New Orleans, Um, and that was just because what Drew Breeze is, is incredible. What he manages to do is incredible. Uh... You wonder how he can do the things that he does with the talent that he had. Because, yes, he did have Marcus Colston. All the rest of the guys were not even close to Pro Bowl wide receivers. Like, Lance Moore was great and all. He he was a good wide receiver. He wasn't a Pro Bowl caliber wide receiver, though. Not by any stretch of the imagination. No, but he had the quarterback there who managed to find the guy wide open. Or managed to get the guy to make plays. He knew where to throw the ball. He was smart with the ball. In fact, there's a guy that's not going to come up on here that I do want to mention, and it's a running back named Pierre Thomas. Now, Pierre Thomas was a guy who 
He came out of Illinois. I think he was undrafted in 07. And the Saints picked him up because they saw potential in him. And what his potential managed to be was running the screen pass. Uh, running the screen pass and play action. Like, Pierre Thomas wasn't going to be a 1,000-yard running back at all. The Saints really didn't have needs for 1,000-yard running backs. We were running running back by committee, especially in the mid-2010s. We had, like, yes, Mark Ingram was the primary running back, but we were running running back by committee. We had guys like Chris Ivory, who ended up actually being really good and tore us apart in 2015. Uh, was it 2015? Or was it 2014? Because I'm trying to remember, because he was on the Jets when it happened, and I'm trying to remember the last time we played the Jets and then go back four years, because he tore us apart when he uh, played us. He was a good running back. We had Traveris Cadet, who's this random running back guy uh, in the mid-2010s. Uh, I think he came out of Appalachian State, and he was good at returning kicks, from what I remember. And, yeah, no other team was going to find a use for him, I don't think. But he just had this random knack for being able to sometimes get yards. And Pierre Thomas was that plus. Pierre Thomas's main, uh, like, good thing was that we could run screens with him really well. He could run the screen pass probably better than any running back prior to uh, Alvin Kamara. He could do a wheel route probably better than any running back prior to Alvin Kamara. You wouldn't split him out wide. You'd have him do those kinds of routes. And when you did that, it was tough for defenses to stop it. Granted, that also came about because we had really good blocking for him. But, yeah, there's that. And then uh, one final thing to mention about 2009 was Jeremy Shockey with 569 yards. Because, yeah, Jeremy Shockey was a good tight end. He was pretty good uh, for... Him. Then you got 2010. Saints have four guys here. Breeze throws for 4,620 yards. Colston has 1023. Moore has 600, 763. Excuse me. Meacham has 638. And Devery Henderson has 464. Then you have 2011 when Breeze broke the passing yardage record with 5,476 yards. You had Jimmy Graham. I think this was either his rookie year or his second year. Uh, one of the two. He was the primary uh, guy in terms of yardage, 1,283 yards. Now, I don't know what to say about Jimmy Graham. Oh, yeah, he was good. Like, there's a reason why he was making Pro Bowls. Yeah, he was a Pro Bowl tight end. For, like, three plays, he held the NFL record for most uh, yardage in a season by a tight end until Gronk decided, lol, I'm going to take that record. Uh, whatever. Doesn't matter. He had it at least three plays, but he was insane. Like, if there was one guy that you needed to get the ball to in the end zone, you were in the red zone. If you need one guy, it was going to be Jimmy Graham. Jimmy Graham's still holding around, but he's not hit the same. He's never been the same since he was with Breeze. Gee, I wonder why that is. Besides the fact that he is a little older, it doesn't help that, you know, Breeze is kind of the best quarterback ever. Like, Breeze would find him no matter what. Jimmy Graham had an amazing catch radius. Holy cow. Man caused a rule change when he dunked on Atlanta's goalpost so hard, it got dislodged. 
which I think is like, y'all should have really done a better job with the whole goalpost, because that shouldn't have been possible. How did you not test this? Actually, yeah. How do you not? You know what? Because no one expects that to happen. Doesn't matter. What does matter is that Jimmy Graham was a beast. Holy cow. Amazing catch radius. I don't think he was exactly a blocking tight end as much, but who needs that? Yeah, hi, we're within 10 yards of the end. So, yep, you're not covering him. You couldn't cover him. You just could not cover him. That 2011 Saints offense was as explosive as it got. It was the most explosive offense the Saints have ever had. That 2011 Saints team, I will argue, was better than the 2009 team that won the Super Bowl. The 2009 team... In fact, I might have to make a separate whole thing where I talk about why I believe the 2011 Saints were overall a better team than the 2009 Saints. If you look at both of those teams, but the main difference I have to say is that the offense was more explosive. Though the defense in both of those years had problems, it just so happened that in 2011, it couldn't get as many takeaways as the 2009 team could. The 2009 Saints were lucky in many games. Uh... Yes, they could put up a ton of points. Number one, they were already coming off the year where they had an easier schedule. 2009 Saints had an easy schedule because they lost the tiebreaker in the division and finished last in the NFC South in 2008, even though they had an 8-8 record. This was really helpful because that meant we got to play the last place teams in the NFC West from 2008 and the NFC North from 2008, the Lions who we beat the crap out of in 2008, so that was easy. In 2011, the Saints had a little bit of a harder schedule because they finished second place in the NFC South, and they had to play some other teams. And then they decided, you know what? Let's just turn the ball over a bunch in San Francisco. That'll totally end up being useful. We could have beaten those Giants. Whatever. Back to 2011. Uh, Darren Sproles' first year. Darren Sproles. Holy cow. Just... The years that we had him, he was a nightmare to deal with. In 2011, Darren Sproles set the NFL record for all-purpose yards in a season. Uh, yeah. Because, like, you have him as a threat running the ball, because what can he do in the flat? Uh, and then you have the kick return game. Hi, I want to try and deal with Darren Sproles as a punt returner, said no one ever. No one has ever wanted to deal with Darren Sproles as a kick returner. And that's where his nightmare came in. That's where the nightmare began. It was, oh god, he's back there, he could break one. And he broke some. And it, it was so fun watching little man go. And then Lance Moore had 627 yards and Robert Meacham at 620 yards. Then you get to 2012. Marcus Colston had 1154. Lance Moore had 1,000 yards. He had 1,041. Then you had Jimmy Graham with 982 and Darren Sproles with 667. 2013, Breeze throws for 5,000 yards again because, you know, he's Drew Breeze. He does whatever he wants. Jimmy Graham had 1215. Uh, Marcus Colston had 943. This was Kenny Stills' first year. So this is where I'm now getting to talk about Kenny Stills. Now, Kenny Stills is still playing. 
I believe he's with the Texans, although I'm not 100% sure. But he had a, I think it was like, he played two or three years with the Saints. Or something. He played a few years with the Saints before going on to the Dolphins. Uh, His ability to catch the ball deep was pretty good. He had speed. His thing was speed. Sometimes he would drop the ball, though. Like, he has that infamous play from when he was with the Dolphins where the ball's right in his hands, and it just completely drops, and he's like, whoa, whoa. And it's like, really, bro? How do you drop that? And he he did have those problems with uh, dropping the ball. But he was fast. Uh, I don't know what to say about his route running ability, considering I can't really remember that as well. But he was a good receiver. But he wasn't great. But Breeze managed to use him in ways where at least he found his uh, strengths. And then Darren Sproles had 604 yards in uh, 2013. 2014, Breeze throws for 49.52. Stills is the leading receiver with 931 yards. Marcus Colston has 902. Jimmy Graham has 889. And this is Brandon Cook's rookie year. He has 550. Now, Brandon Cooks is still playing in the NFL. Brandon Cooks is now on his fourth team. I think it's been Saints, Patriots, Rams, and now Texans he's on. And there's a reason why he's bounced around. Now, first of all, I believe in 2014, uh, the reason why Brandon Cooks didn't have as many yards is because he got a thumb injury, which when I was, like, you know, hearing about that for the first time, it's like, I didn't know how bad a thumb injury was until I, like, learned, like, exactly how important the thumb was. And it's like, okay, that's actually a pretty bad injury. Who baby? Because, you know, what do you use to grab things? Try grabbing something without your thumb. Now try doing that, and it's a football. Yeah, it's not really doable. Brandon Cooks was fast. Speaking of fast, why the heck are there so many motorcycle guys outside? Just always happens. Sorry. Brandon Cooks, fast. Very fast. Uh, In fact, next year, 2015, he was the leading receiver in terms of yardage on the Saints, but I'll talk about that. Um... Like, in 2015, he had that 98-yard touchdown uh, reception against the Raiders when Marquette King backed us up to our two-yard line, and then we scored. Uh, I can tell you where I was on that play, in the Superdome, getting food. They had just punted, and then the play happens, and I'm like, damn it. Damn it! Because it, like, I'm walking back, and it is just finished, and I am so pissed off. That was in 2015, yeah. Oh my god, that was... No, that was, no, that was 2016. Yeah, because we played the Raiders this year. It's a four-year cycle. That was 2016. Duh. But his main thing, and the reason why I think he may have bounced around so much, Brandon Cooks is fast. But Brandon Cooks doesn't make plays on the ball all that much. He only managed, I think, a year in uh, New England. His problem is that he doesn't make efforts for the ball at all. When it comes to Brandon Cooks, he's fast, he's speedy. If you put the ball within his catch radius, he's going to catch it. The problem is his catch radius is pretty small, and it really doesn't... He doesn't extend to make plays at all. You, There have been many times where I have seen balls that were clearly catchable for a normal receiver. Where guys like... Kenny Stills would have even tried for it at least. And Brandon Cooks just lets it go. Like, the ball will fly over his head, 
or the ball will just be like right in front of him, and you can tell if he stretches out his hands, he probably has at least a chance. Or at least he'd tip the ball and it would fall forward, and at that point you could probably say, well, that was an overthrow. But he doesn't try, and that is a major problem. There is a reason why I do not believe him to be one of the better receivers. I think he could have been. I think Brandon Cooks has this... His speed is amazing. If he tries to catch balls, he can usually do it. If he would actually put in more effort to trying to catch footballs, I think he could be a much better receiver in the NFL. I think he wouldn't have had problems bouncing around. All of that kind of stuff would not be an issue. But it is. Maybe it's also something to do with the fact that he's got like injuries too, but... I think one of the major things that's been holding him back is the fact that he does not make efforts on the ball. Um, now, 2015, uh, Breeze throws for 4,870 yards. Cooks is the leading receiver with 1059. Willie Sneed, 940 yards. Willie Sneed is now on the Ravens. Uh, he's pretty good. I think he was better with the Saints, but that's probably because Breeze... Breeze just makes everybody better. Uh, but yeah, he was good. Uh, ran routes pretty well. Had a good catch thingy. I don't really know what to say. He was a good wide receiver. He wasn't a Pro Bowl wide receiver. But he's a serviceable receiver, and he's one of those guys that every team kind of needs to have. Like, look, it doesn't matter that you have, say, I don't know, four Pro Bowl wide receivers... Uh, because that you can still lose games badly, especially if your quarterback is consistently under pressure and is throwing up lame ducks. Hi, Tom Brady. <laughs> Sorry, but you don't need to have all those Pro Bowl wide receivers out there. Sometimes you need a guy on your team who can go up and make a catch, who's there reliably, who sometimes will take himself out of a play just to do a block. Willie Sneed is one of those kinds of guys. He's a hard player. He's a he's a good, tough player. Very tough. Um, and I think the Ravens are better for having him. Because he is one of those guys who I think I think he can be a leader. And then Ben Watson with 758 yards. Ben Watson was a good tight end with us. Um he left for the Ravens for one year and then came back and then retired randomly and then unretired, got popped for using PEDs and then started playing with the Patriots. <sighs> that, no, that wasn't fun. That wasn't fun after 2018 uh, when he decided, no, I'm going to unretire for a year. But then he got popped for PEDs, which was like, mm, what, what was the real reason you unretired, bro? Because that doesn't sound good. And, yeah, great tight end, I think. I don't really need to say that much about what Ben Watson was with the Saints because it's been said with every other team he's played on. Uh, great tight end, big, lanky, scores a lot. He's a good tight end. And then 2016 was the last year that Breeze did not have a Pro Bowl wide receiver. The next season, he would. Brandon Cooks had a... Uh, I'm sorry, Breeze threw for 5,208 yards. Brandon Cooks had 1173 that could have actually been Pro Bowl worthy, but 
I'm not going to make a point about that. Michael Thomas had 1137, Willie Sneed had 895, and Kobe Fleener has 631. And this is the last guy I'm going to talk about before we go into Marcus Colston. Kobe Fleener was... I couldn't believe it myself when I saw that he had 631 yards because Kobe Fleener was a tight end that we got as a free agent signing after he left uh, Indianapolis. Uh, He was a tight end there for I don't know how long. He was pretty decent. When he came here, there's one problem. One pretty major problem. This would actually, no. I think this was the year that uh, Ben Watson had left or something. I don't know. Here's what I do know. Kobe Fleener. He was pretty good. Uh, big guy, pretty decent blocker. And yes, he catched the ball. His problem was dropping the ball. Because, oh my goodness gracious, if there's one thing I have tied my memories of Kobe Fleener to, it's the fact that he dropped the ball a lot. Like, he would have easy catches, and he would just drop them somehow. And it's like, bro, you're better than this. You're an NFL tight end. You've got to do better. How the heck are you doing this? This is Jabriz throwing the ball. Like, what else could he have done? How in the world do you do this consistently? Where it's... So you drop the ball again. Like, I can't exactly remember the specifics behind it because it was 2016. That was a long time ago. But, yeah. And so now let's talk about Marcus Colston. Because I've you know, kind of held off on talking about him so that we could get to the point where I talk about the three seasons where he should have been a pro bowler. But first of all, let's talk about Marcus Colston in general. Now, Marcus Colston, you may have heard the story, but if you don't know the story, uh, Saints drafted him with one of the last picks in the 2006 draft. In the seventh round, he came out of Hofstra. Uh, which now does not have a college football team. It did at the time, and it did for a few years. Uh, Now, there's really only one guy, and why can't I remember his name? Wayne Corbett? You might know his name. He came out of Hofstra. Uh, And, yeah, not many guys knew who this Marcus Colston guy was. He was a big guy, but he was kind of lanky. Didn't know what he could turn into. He did really well in the preseason. Sean Payton liked what he saw in Marcus Colston. To the point where we said, yeah, Dante, you can walk. And we let Dante Stallworth go. And then what does Marcus Colston do in his first season? Oh, I don't know, have a thousand yards. What does Marcus Colston do in his first season? Oh, I don't know. He had 70 receptions, 10, uh, 1,038 yards, and 8 touchdowns. 70 receptions, 1,038 yards, and 8 touchdowns for a 7th rounder out of Hofstra. Just just a normal, average, everyday rookie performance for a 7th rounder out of Hofstra. You know. Yeah. What he became, what he was, throughout his time with the Saints, was he was dependable. He was always there. He, he did make one... Very stupid mistake in his last... I think that was his last career game. No, it wasn't. No, it was not. Because I am an idiot for thinking that because he played with us uh, in 2015. We didn't make the playoffs in 2015. Because 
the one thing that a lot of people remember Marcus Colston for was his stupid decision not to step out of bounds in the 2013 divisional round and instead threw a forward pass uh, that ended up with the game being over against the Seahawks. Um, although, granted, it should be noted, I think he caught the game, uh, the touchdown prior to that, that kept us in it. And that made it so that that streak of, oh, one possession playoff losses for the Saints, and it's like, yeah, but 2013 doesn't really count if you look at how that game went. Because it was an eight-point loss that we made an eight-point loss because we scored late in basically garbage time. Like, there was no chance of us winning it, so shut up about that. But anyway... What's important to mention is that uh, if you look up highlights of uh, Marcus Colston, he's known as the Quiet Storm. That was one thing that he was always that was always talked about with him was that he didn't say that much, and he really didn't. Uh, he wasn't like this boisterous out there guy, and for the top receiver on the Saints, an offense that was really well known for being one of the most potent in the league, one of the ones where defensive coordinators feared the Saints' offense, and he was the guy on the Saints' offense that you had to watch out for. Even when Jimmy Graham was out there, that was a tight end, you still had to watch out for Marcus Colston. Because Colston was still going to catch the ball. Like, I mean... I mean, granted because I'm looking at his uh, numbers. He had he had 70 receptions in his first year. He's targeted 115 times. So that was growing pains. In his second year, uh, his catch percentage was 68.5. He only had a 64.7% catch uh, percentage. But then again, the way targets work, if it's an overthrow, but you're the nearest guy, that's a target, and it's considered you. That's why Michael Thomas's catch percentage is insane. Because some of the balls that are considered targets are like throwaways. Like Breeze just is getting rid of the ball. He happens to be pretty close by to the ball, so it's technically considered one of them. Like, eh. So, even then, though, like, it was insane watching him. Because he could go up for the ball, he would catch it. Uh, he was big. Uh, how big was this guy again? He was 6'4", 225. 6'4", and he had a humongous catch radius. It was tough to cover him. Uh, he's the all-time leader in receiving yards, receiving touchdowns, receptions for the Saints. Um, and of course he is. He played for us for so many years, from 06 to 2015. But one thing that he never did, one thing that's baffling to almost anyone who's ever looked at him, is the fact that he was never selected to the Pro Bowl. When you look at lists of the best players of all time never to be selected to a Pro Bowl, it's Marcus Colston's the first one. There's really not an argument to be made. Like, I don't, I don't think you can argue against him. I think there's really nothing you can say to me to say, yeah, Marcus Colston isn't the greatest player to not have a Pro Bowl in. Like, just because you look at some of these years and you're like, Holy cow, this guy was incredible. How was he not in the Pro Bowl? And there are three years that I've picked out where that question of how the hell did this guy not make a Pro Bowl are pretty big. Those three years are 2007, 2012, 2013, 2014. 
2011 and 2012. The big one being 2007. Because 2007, Colston was robbed. Now granted, I have no memories of this year, but I think just by giving you three random guys and telling you that one of them made the Pro Bowl, uh, no. Let me, let me just give you uh, three random guys. Two of these guys made the Pro Bowl. The other guy is Marcus Colston. 82 catches for 1,048 yards and two touchdowns. 98 catches for 1,202 yards and 11 touchdowns. Or 93 catches for 1,189 yards and seven touchdowns. Two of those guys made the Pro Bowl, and one of them didn't. I think I may have given it away with the 1,202 yards, but that was Marcus Colston that didn't make the Pro Bowl. Somehow, someway, an 82 catch, 1048 in two season, was enough to make the Pro Bowl? I mean, even 93, 1189, and 7 isn't as big as a 98, 1202, and 11 year. So what's the difference? Well, Marcus Colston was a second-year guy out of Hofstra, didn't really have that much name recognition. 82, 1048, and 2 was Donald Driver. He was catching passes from Brett Favre. Uh, where is it? 93, 1189, and 7? That's Torrey Holt. Torrey Holt was well, well known for being a damn good wide receiver. Now, 93, 1189, and 7, I think is a decent enough season and warrant a Pro Bowl. 82, 1048, and 2? How is that a Pro Bowl season? Period. I don't give a damn who you are, but that is not even remotely comparable to the insane 98 1202 and 11. How does that not make a Pro Bowl? More importantly, how does that not make a Pro Bowl, but a guy who scored two touchdowns did? And here's the thing. The other guys that made the Pro Bowl uh, for the NFC at wide receiver, yeah, makes sense. You had Larry Fitzgerald with a 100 catch, 1,409 yard and 10 touchdown season, and you had Terrell Owens, he had 81 catches, but he had 1,355 yards and 15 touchdowns. Those two seasons are Pro Bowl caliber. No matter what. 1,355 and 15? Those are huge. A 100-catch season? That's probably going to get you into the Pro Bowl. Hell, it's how Braylon Edwards made a Pro Bowl. Because I think this was the year where Braylon Edwards made a Pro Bowl. He caught 100 balls. So it's like... Yeah. So... How does 98, 12, 02, and 11 not make the Pro Bowl? And the answer is probably name recognition, because Driver was catching passes from Brett Favre. Alrighty? Like, Torrey Holt was catching them from Mark Bulger, granted. But it's Torrey Holt, and everybody knew his name. And I think it's like a popularity thing, because I think it's half voted on by the fans. But even then... And I also know that it's not voted on, like, at the end of the season. Like, it's in the middle of the season. But, like... Just, what? It would be so much easier if we looked at, oh, I don't know. Let's just look at him through, yeah. Here's his first, here's Marcus Colston's uh, first nine games from 2007. 52 receptions, 636 yards, and 5 touchdowns. 
And if we compare that... Alrighty, so I've, I've actually done some more research. Um, and so what I've looked into is the fact that the Pro Bowl voting ended, ended on December 11th. So what I'm doing, what I have done, is I have looked at Marcus Colston compared to Donald Driver up to the last game before the 11th. So, here are Marcus Colston. No, let's, uh, let me show you Donald Driver's numbers. 73 receptions, 936 yards, and two touchdowns. Colston, 79 receptions, 978 yards, and eight touchdowns. Tell me, in what way does that make any sense? I know it's fan voting, and I get it. Like, there are a lot more fans that are going to vote for a Packers player than they are for a Saints player. But, like, if we had to actually look at things, are you telling me that Donald Driver really deserved it? No, he didn't. Not at all. Not in the slightest. But there are two other years that I want to mention. It's 2011 and 2012. Now, I remember 2011, Marcus Colston. He was damn good. 2012 Marcus Colston, he was damn good. Here's what Colston looked like in 2011. 80 receptions, 1,143 yards, and 8 touchdowns. Here are the guys he had to go up against, and I have one, and I'm going to go through the guys who I think, there's one guy I think he should have beaten. So you had Roddy White. Roddy White had a one, ended up with, and I'm saying ended up with, like, could be some issue with, like, in the middle of it, but I always go for this one, although 2012 will actually look at that. Um, Roddy White ended up with a 100-catch season, 1,296 yards, and 8 touchdowns. That's a good, that's a really good season. Like, that's Pro Bowl worthy. Steve Smith, 79 catches, okay, but 1,394 yards and 7 touchdowns. With all those yards and all of that, that's a Pro Bowl season. Larry Fitzgerald, 80 catches, 1,411 yards, and 8 touchdowns. Yeah, that's, that's better by, like, 300 yards. And then you had Calvin Johnson, who had 96 catches, 1,681 yards, and 16 touchdowns. That's a bomb season. There's no way you don't give it to Calvin Johnson. But then there's Greg Jennings. Hmm. Isn't that weird? Another Packers player. Yeah, he had 67 catches for 949 yards and 9 touchdowns. But maybe the splits look better. Okay, then. So... I've done the research, and it looks a little worse, and it looks like it makes more sense for Greg Jennings to have had it. So Marcus Colston, at the time of the voting's end, his numbers were 66 receptions, 917 yards, and 5 touchdowns. Now, Greg Jennings did not play any more games after week 14, the 13th game for the Packers, his numbers were already locked in at 67, 9, 49, and 9. So at that point, he had a much better season. So I can give that one to him. But still, does not make any sense for him not to. And then, alrighty, so... I've done the pre-search, you know, thingy that we're going to talk about. Because, yeah, 2012 Colston should have made it. So Colston, in the end, had an 83-catch, 1154-yard, and 10-touchdown season. Now, here are the guys he had to go up against in terms of them. And I'll save the one that is, eh, for last. He had to go up against Julio Jones. 79 catches, 1198 yards, and 10 touchdowns at the end of the season. Granted, 
Voting ended around week 14, but I like to talk about the whole context of everything. Uh, then you had Victor Cruz, who this was Victor Cruz around this time. It was going to be him anyway, but also he had an 86 catch, 10-92 and 10 season. That's a pretty good season for a wide receiver. So, yeah, you should you should kind of expect it to be a pro bowler. Vincent Jackson, he had a 72 catch, 1384 yard, and eight touchdown season. That's insane. Brandon Marshall and Calvin Johnson are the two guys where it's like, mm, they were making the Pro Bowl. Brandon Marshall had a 118 catch, 1,508 yard, and 11 touchdown season. And this was the year that Calvin Johnson broke the yardage record. He had 122 catches, 1,964 in yards, and only five touchdowns. That's what gives me what? Because it's like, wait, wait, he had all those yards and he only caught five TDs? Then there's Larry Fitzgerald. Larry Fitzgerald did not deserve to make the Pro Bowl in 2012. Not with his numbers. Oh no, it's more than numbers. Trust me, the numbers do not add up. He had 71 catches for 798 yards and 4 touchdowns the whole season. But, of course, maybe, you know, comparing that to an 83 catch, 11, 54, and 10 season isn't fair. What if I told you that it still is bonkers? So, Marcus Colston, at the end of um, voting, voting ended uh, following the Monday night game in week 14, or, I'm sorry, game 14, so week 15. Uh, and by that point, Colston had 68 receptions for 949 yards and 8 touchdowns. By that point, at the same time, uh, Larry Fitzgerald had 61 receptions for 674 yards and 4 touchdowns. So you're trying to tell me that Larry Fitzgerald... I don't give a damn about how popular he is. You're trying to tell me a wide receiver with 61 catches for 674 yards and 4 touchdowns is a pro bowler, but a guy with 68 receptions for 949 yards and 8 touchdowns. Double the touchdowns. He's got... I mean, look at this. He's his yardage per game, 67.8. What is Larry Fitzgerald averaging at that point per game? 48.1. 48.1 yards per game. That's awful. I mean, let's look at every single reception. I mean, every single uh, thing. So, Larry Fitzgerald has more targets. 139 compared to 109 for Marcus Colston. However, he has seven fewer. The difference is seven. What does that mean? Well, if we look at catch percentage, Larry Fitzgerald is catching 43.9% of the uh, targets, whereas Marcus Colston is catching 62.4%. Now, it is worth noting that the Cardinals did not really have a great quarterback situation in 2012. However, I don't give a damn about that. Because even then, you should be able to get more. I, don't, I know that they have ineffective offenses. But they have an ineffective offense, and you're going to vote in their pro as a pro bowler, their wide receiver, when in 2012 the Saints have one of the most explosive offenses in the league, and you're not going to vote in their top wide receiver. Look, I think Jimmy Graham makes it in, but like, you're not going to put in Colston? And by this point, by this point, it wasn't 2007, all right? It wasn't like 2007, where it was his second year in the league, and nobody knew his name. No, he was coming off of 2011 when he had an insane year with one of the most... No, at that point, the most explosive passing offense in the history of the NFL. 
5,476 yards of passing offense. If you include playoff games, I think the number jumps to uh, 6,000 yards. Because Breeze went off against the Lions in 2011. You're trying to tell me that this guy, who has shown everybody by this point, who is pretty much known by the rest of the league as one of the most fearsome wide receivers out there that no one ever talks about. One of those guys where it's like, crap, we have to play the Saints, we have to deal with Colston, we're not going to deal with Colston very well. When you already know that, and I get that, fans make up a third of the voting. Fans make up a third of it, and they're always going to vote for their own team. That means that other guys are making up two-thirds of it, and they're going to put in who... They're going to put in Fitzgerald, excuse me, a guy whose production is clearly down, who's not doing well at all, over a guy who is phenomenal. How in the world does that make any sense? Again, in 2007, it's a little, it's still not acceptable to me, but it at least has the ideal thing of like, well... Yeah, it was his second year, so he didn't have the name recognition, so, like, fan voting was going to come into play a lot more. And, granted, maybe that was still the thing, with the lack of name recognition, but even then, come on. You and I both know that it should have been able to get him in. But somehow, some way, he does not make the Pro Bowl. No, Larry Fitzgerald, who has a mediocre season, at best, probably, actually, if we, I mean, we take a look at Larry Fitzgerald overall, his uh, whole receiving yards thing, 798, in 2014, so in 2014, Larry Fitzgerald doesn't make the Pro Bowl for the first time since 2007. That year, he had 63 receptions for 784 yards and two touchdowns, which is actually comparable. Except, here's the interesting thing. That means he had more yards per reception. Yeah, his yards per reception that year, 12.4. His yards per reception in 2012, 11.2. So his production is off. Also, in 2014, his catch percentage is 61.2%. He's catching the balls that's thrown... Granted, he doesn't drop the ball. So I guess his catch percentage will be lower because they're just terrible throws. Actually, that's exactly what it would be. But even then, he's not producing. Why is he in the Pro Bowl? And Marcus Colston, who's... And again, yes, I am biased here, but come on. He should have made a Pro Bowl. I think that's pretty much a universal statement Like from most people who ever watched him. It's like, this guy was a Pro Bowl wide receiver. How the hell did he not make it? Not one year. Not 2007. When he had his career year. When he absolutely tore apart every defense that had to deal with him. 1,202 yards. Where, oh, I don't know. This guy had the NF... What did he? He set the NFL record for most receptions through the first three years of a career. Yeah, NFL record, first three years, most receptions. Marcus Colston was an incredible talent. Look, 
And when I say he broke... His number of receptions, by the way, 215 for... Wow, exactly 3,000 yards. That's actually insane. He had exactly 3,000 yards in his first three seasons. 215 receptions in his first three seasons. He had 24 touchdowns in his first three seasons. You look at all of the stuff he has, and I know they're just numbers. And numbers aren't everything. You don't need just numbers to show you that that guy was a pro bowler. You look at the way he played the game. You look at his ability to do what he did, to go up and get the ball, to run routes, to make defensive coordinators frightened. That's what made him incredible. It's what made him incredible to watch. It's why he is, it's why it is such a major question why he never made the Pro Bowl. And after looking at it, yes, 2011, he probably didn't deserve it at the time of voting because Greg Jennings had better numbers than he did, was playing better, and was on a better team. And then they started, like, I think they rested him the rest of the season. Um, they didn't need him. So, yeah. That point, that's okay. 2007, that was a robbery. He had much better numbers. Absolutely phenomenal numbers compared to uh, freaking Donald Driver. But Donald Driver was catching passes from Brett Favre. That's the only reason he makes the damn Pro Bowl, is that he's catching passes from Favre. If he is not catching passes from Favre, he's not getting there. And even then, Braylon frickin' Edwards made it because he had a 100-catch season randomly. Yeah, somehow Braylon Edwards makes the damn Pro Bowl, but nah, Marcus Colston doesn't. Braylon Edwards, really? There's so many guys who did make the Pro Bowl. And it's not... The other thing that doesn't make sense to me is that he never made it in because guys had to leave. He never made it in because guys were out because Super Bowl. Like, look at 2011. Or, no, let's look at 2012. 2012. Now, it just so happens that every single one of the guys that makes it in would have made it in, except for Larry Fitzgerald. Larry Fitzgerald. And actually, I do want to double-check one thing. Because if in 2013 there was a guy that had to change because of the fact that uh, he had to be subbed out. And, oh, God. Oh, God. Not the 2013... No, wait. That's the wrong one. Yeah. Hold on. So he doesn't even make it. As How does he not make it as an alternate thing? What? This is... This is by far the dumbest thing. How in the world does he not make it in? How in the world does Larry Fitzgerald make it in? But he doesn't. Just... The other thing that should be noted is that Calvin Johnson and Brandon Marshall were starters, but they both declined to play due to injury. So, that meant... That, who else, just, I'm trying to wrap my head around it, but it doesn't make any sense. And I've been talking now for about an hour about this stuff, but yeah, 
what is this whole thing supposed to do? Breeze didn't really have any guys around him, except for Marcus Colston. It's why I believe that Breeze is one of the best quarterbacks of all time, and probably even the best. Everyone can say, oh, but Tom Brady won all these games. But if you want to talk about why Tom Brady won all those games, it's because he had a defense. It's because he was in a division that was a trash heap. Do you know why it took him so long to finally get swept by a division opponent? Because the teams he was playing against didn't do so well. Is it an indictment on... Well, excuse me, let me rephrase that. Is it supposed to be something that his team is good, that he never got swept by a division opponent? Or is it that the teams he was playing were absolute dog shit? It helps that maybe, just maybe, you get to play the Jets every year. And even then, they have... it. He has been beaten twice in a season before by a division opponent. 2010, Jets. They beat him. Remember, the Jets had to beat the Patriots in Foxborough to advance in the playoffs. And so, it has happened at least before where he's been beaten twice in a season by the same team. So, yeah, it's... The whole thing about Drew Brees, oh, he's only won one Super Bowl. Oh, he's only done this. Oh, he's only done that. You do realize football is a team sport, right? Like, you do realize the reason Brees can't win games is down to the fact that he never had a defense that could do it for him. Didn't help that in 2011 we had, like, five turnovers against the 49ers, and that's what caused us to lose that game. Um, But, yeah, like, if, if there's anything... If Drew Brees needed, he could have multiple titles. It would be a defense. It would be somebody who could stop the damn ball going deep. But the Saints didn't have that. The Saints have only had a top five defense two years. And both of those years, we were wildcard teams. Yeah, I don't know how it happened. But 2010 and 2013, the Saints had top five defenses. Both of those years, we were wildcard teams. Because apparently the Saints can't have... Because apparently the Saints can't have anything nice. Maybe uh, next time, uh, depending on what I feel like doing, we'll talk about that. Talk about how bad the Saints' defense has been. I don't know, I'll have to come up with something. But, I know this. That's the end of this Saturday special. Uh, hope you enjoyed it. Uh, if you did, that's good. So now, because I almost forgot last time... I'll do the trivia question for the next episode of the Saturday Special. Thirteen horses have won the Triple Crown, but only one has won the Superfecta, a term coined for a horse that wins the Triple Crown and Traverse Stakes. Which one was it? Now, to help you out, those of you who don't know much about horse racing, um, including myself, I just found this out for random reasons, uh, I've also put the years so that you have a shot at it. Is it A, Whirl Away in 1941, B, Assault in 1946, C, Citation in 1948, or D, Secretariat in 1973? I will assure you, all of these are real. All of these are real horses that won the Triple Crown in those respective years. Only one of them managed to win the Travers Stakes in that same year. The answer to that one will be on the next episode. So, uh, if you want to find me on Twitter, you can find me at capital B-E-N, capital S, capital L, capital A, capital S, P, O, R, T, S. Find me on Instagram at B. Schluter, L.A. I've been Ben Schluter. This has been the Saturday special of Gold to Go. And until next time, 
Bye-bye.